What's up, world? Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. They, 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 insert here. Yo. It's a terrible game. Bottom line. It's terrible in every way. Graphically, it's terrible. Gameplay is terrible. It's just terrible. Oh, angry Nick mad. That game sucked, and it's gonna suck no matter how many revisions they make, and it just sucked even more because they put a connect with it. Oh, angry Nick mad. Or if there's violence, I'll just laugh and enjoy the fun. Kaz Hazari. Hazari. Kaz Harai. 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 They just kind of got tired of Angry Nick on the first one and said, yeah, I'm gonna pass. Oh, yeah, so I do. It's me, precisely. No, no. no. I, I, per- I no. do all my work. No. No. Yeah, I'm you guys are so I don't- cute. Oh, thank you. I try. I mean, let's face it, Mario, and to a lesser extent, Zelda, is what carries Nintendo at this point. Always be radical. I love you, little podcast. You're the bestest thing ever. For the promise of the new Super Smash Brothers and the Zelda game, yes. You will not find a better story presented in any other game genre, in my personal opinion. Like, JRPGs have that. They have that story. That's what the entire game felt like. Oh my god, I want to bang my head into a wall. It's a podcast. Can someone remind me? I thought it was a video game podcast. You're listening to the Game Source Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Gerald, better known as Yes Elvis Lives from com. I am here with a noted documentary filmmaker, avid gaming enthusiast, and, well, an all around great guy. His name is Rob McCallum. How are you, sir? Doing well. Careful, I might get you to pen my biography with such kind words. There you go. I'll, I'll do the foreword. Um, and actually, what started this off, uh, you know, as far as some of the questioning that I'm, I'm going to talk about today was, I was at the uh, NAB show here in Las Vegas, which were, you know, uh, you're from your, you're in Las Vegas right now, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So, yeah, I was at the NAB show the other day. And I'm walking by the big, large Canon booth, and they're having a discussion. And I see on the title who they're having a discussion with four individuals. They're called, uh, they were, quote, noted documentary filmmakers. And I'm looking at them, and, and they're talking and whatnot. And I see one that happens to uh, look like he stole something from uh, your good friend Jay's wardrobe. And I was t- uh, actually walking in line. Noted documentary filmmaker. Why wasn't Rob McGallum on the on the actual uh, panel for talking about uh, maybe? I don't know if you knew, use Canon as far as uh, for a lot of your equipment, so maybe that was the, the reason why. I'm not sure. Well, th- there's a million reasons why certain people get you know picked to go on these panels. There's a lot of talented filmmakers out there. Uh, I do not use any Canon uh, equipment at the time, but I would love to use a lot of your lenses, Canon, if you're listening. I would like to make use of a lot of uh, the the glass that you guys got. So put that out there. Um, yeah, I mean, Jerry, there's a lot of celebrated filmmakers out there, and it's very kind of you that you think I should be joined up there. And I will let Jay know that there are people copying his apparel absolutely absolutely because like you know this first thing that stuck out now you weren't there but you are traveling almost all around the world as far as supporting in support of uh, your i don't want to say most recent project because my gosh you've got a lot of recent projects right now um but um your 2000 scheduled 2015 release project let's say that's that way it's 
It's yeah. Nintendo Quest. If the first one to hit should be Nintendo Quest. And yeah, yeah we, we are doing a lot of travel and promotion. And it's funny that you mentioned around the world activities because we have actually last week had a lot of cha- chances to chat about international screening dates. Um, it, what started as a, as a fun quip from people in Israel that said, we would love to show your film in our store. We've been in contact with other people that actually have a lot of connections to the Asian and South uh, East Asian market and Australia market and Hong Kong and Japan that are somewhat quite keen to show this, these adventures of these two North American lads who love video games so much that are crisscrossing uh, across the continent. So uh, there are discussions and there is possibilities that this could go quite global. Has Nintendo actually ever reached out to you in any way in regards to the film? Yeah, we've uh, we were in early talks, very early talks when we first announced it. We were put in touch with Nintendo's PR firm and uh, got in touch with. Uh, I I believe I could be misrepresenting myself here a little bit by uh, talking to Reggie's assistant and whatnot and trying to connect with him specifically to be a part of the film. They are quite aware of what's going on. But as I'm sure you can tell from our poster, we are tiptoeing around some legal issues by saying the most unofficial and unauthorized Nintendo documentary ever, just to quite separate ourselves from what an official Nintendo product might be. Absolutely. And I've been uh, actually dealing with gaming, uh, the gaming industry now for six years. And and I've come to know and come to realize that Nintendo's, I don't want to say stubborn or hard stance per se, but they just have their own beliefs on how their products should be represented. And I know uh, there are certain ways uh, in regards to streaming and, and representation online, how, how they do not like to, to have themselves portrayed as. So it, I can understand your, your thoughts in actually trying to make sure you're maybe not trying to uh, step on a few toes for speed because obviously for legal ramifications aside as well correct yeah absolutely man and you know what i have nothing but respect for a company like nintendo like many other gaming corporations and entities they want to do things their own way and they want to put themselves out there in the best way that they see fit i'm the same way with my products and my promotions you know how much we put stuff out there it's all very calculated and very strategic about how we do stuff and i don't know that i would like somebody else trying to piggyback off that that said, come talk to us and we'd love to work with you. But, you know, Nintendo is entitled to make the choices that they want to make. And that's totally cool by us. We still love them. Obviously, we made a film that is quite the love letter to that generation specifically and the company as a whole. And uh, what stage is it at right now? As, as a film, it's finished and they were actually showing it around the country but as a home video product it's still not there yet is that correct well i you know it's funny you mentioned that again your timing is impeccable jared i uh i had i I mastered the disc this last week so we have like the master blu-ray and dvd in hand gerald it's ready to go to the duplication center we are waiting for the bonus discs that is, I'm sure you know, thanks to Kickstarter, we are producing multiple discs for, uh, in some instances, a three-disc set. So that is out there. It is uh, The disc one is done, and we are working on mastering disc two and three. And once those are done for both Blu-ray and DVD, then we will shift them off for duplication. So it does exist as a tangible disc right now. Oh, that's good. That's good. My, it, congrat- <laughs> my congratulations actually to you for that. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, you mentioned Kickstarter, and this was something I was going to bring up later in the interview, but I think uh, I think it's more timely right now. Sure. Um, you've done a lot of things as far as with Kickstarter, the self, you know, in, in trying to promote your your uh, projects, um, and has necessitated as far as uh, Kickstarter and possibly other uh, funding uh, as far as it's concerned. Tell me, 
how important is Kickstarter to you and how important it should be to, to know, to filmmakers uh, all over? Well, I don't know that I can really tell filmmakers how important it is for them because everybody wants to approach everything with their own, like Nintendo, right? They want to do their own thing, their own way. For me, it's an instrumental part of the process, not necessarily just to raise funds to either complete a film or start a film, but to begin the marketing process and get the word out there about this project that is starting to come to life, a story that you start to share with people, whether it's Nintendo Quest or some of my other projects that I'm sure we'll get to, it's really important that you put it out in the public and start having those discussions and start letting that community grow. Our most recent Kickstarter campaign for Nintendo Quest, there's two for those of you out there that don't know, uh, was a tremendous success because there had been a year and a half gap since our first one. And because of that first one, we were able to start developing a community instead of as a group of filmmakers do the secret project and all of a sudden dump a finished film on the market. You know, that's kind of, I want to say, the traditional way or the way that things are usually somewhat kind of done in the, in the indie world. People mm-hmm. make a film, then they make a lot of buzz once it's done. And then they have that one shot, all the eggs in that one basket to get interest about this product that's out there. And time goes by and boom, nobody cares anymore because you know, their moment has come and passed. And whether you were part of it or not, you know, that's that's your one chance. So with Nintendo Quest and originally the NES Club, we want, we made a conscious decision that we wanted to start being quite active members in the community, start sharing the story, start getting people involved, start including people as active participants in what we were doing so that from the from the moment we launched that first campaign to the moment that the screening's finished and that the disc is done, it's an ongoing dialogue. And as you know, I'm sure, and other people that are listening, it's, it's even beyond Nintendo Quest at this point. We have an NES game in the works. We have the Nintendo Quest Power Tour documentary in the works. We have our GamerCast podcast that keeps going on, and there's future plans for that to jump to a video platform, possibly. There's just so many things in the works, and it all starts because you have to make a decision to start marketing. So Kickstarter is the the big marketing initiative for us. One, because we can leverage off the Kickstarter brand. It gets thrown out there. And two, it it allows people to look at it objectively from like a a neutral site. We don't have to direct people to our site and get their confidence. They can go to a site that most people are starting to get familiar with, Kickstarter, and they can see how things are laid out and what it all looks like. So it's just really to our advantage to use a platform like that to get the word out. Okay. No, that's good. That's awesome. And uh, I just... um... I know we've talked about a lot of Nintendo Quest. I know if you've not gone on our site, yourgamesource.com, and, and actually listened to our previous interview with Rob, uh, or one of the many umpteen gazillion interviews you've probably done since then uh, in regards to Nintendo Quest, um, I guess briefly just um, describe to people, or, or you know, gamers are mostly going to be watching or listening to this interview, and, and I know that uh, they're saying, well, why are we talking if, we, if they missed all those interviews. What is Nintendo Quest all about? And, and that's totally fair because I'll, I'll tell you that we went to a game swap in Waterloo, Ontario about a month ago and half the people that saw us hadn't heard of the film yet. So a lot of people that are in the circle like, yeah, we get it. When's the film coming out? But there's still so many people out there that don't know about this because the world is that big. So for those of you that don't know, Nintendo Quest is uh, about one fanatic video game collector's attempt to secure an entire U.S. gold seal of approval uh, NES library. That's 678 games in 30 days without using the internet in any way. It's a dare that I gave my best friend Jay Bartlett, and he accepted because it's always been his dream 
to go after and have this complete collection. And while 30 days may seem a little strange to some people, it's more the idea that if you've always wanted to do something, get off the couch and do it. So this is why 30 days comes into it. Let's get going. You want it, show me that you can do it. So that's how the dare started. And along the way, I get to interview icons and and legends from the gaming industry about what makes the NES stand the test of time. What has Nintendo done as a company and what did they do for that system so specifically that makes it so memorable and long lasting to this day? And obviously it is still, you know, relevant because we have a gamer who wants to spend like his summer going after and collecting this library of games. So the one feeds the other hand relatively well and uh that's Nintendo Quest in a nutshell. We traveled over 10,000 miles. Uh, in a van with six people, film gear, luggage, and of course a lot of video games, a lot of uh, road trip hijinks. We call it the ultimate 8-bit road trip, and uh, we're ready to unleash this finally this summer. Now, um, hijinks aside, you know, <laughs> the the actual the, uh, from what I've seen, I've seen a lot of footage of it, and and I I truly am, am dying to see the, the whole as a whole. I'm telling you, you got you've got a, a showing coming up here in Vegas in a little while. I know that. Plus, you know, many other showings I'm sure is along the way. It's also coming home video, and and if you get a chance, everyone out there to see it, you should make the effort to do so because it's it's really taken shape and it's really come along well. And and along those lines, um, you know, if you were to look up, you know, your IMD page, IMDb page, excuse me. It's, it's more extensive than mine, I'll tell you that much. Uh, mine is, for all the work I did in the 90s, uh, it's only a very small blip in the radar. Uh, but uh, yours is, is such a very background from as a producer, writer, uh, director, and editor standpoint, uh, editing standpoint. Now, how has all those experiences helped shape your vision for Nintendo Quest? Wow, that is a tough question, and it is refreshing to hear something like that. I mean, obviously, like you said, a lot of questions come at us for Nintendo Quest, but I don't get a lot of questions on my background. Um, it, every every experience is a learning experience. I, I believe I learn something at least every day, or I think about some sort of aspect of the film production cycle differently every day, even right now as I'm exporting something on another computer, which you can't see. I'm learning about that process i'm exporting something on a on a second computer which you can't see and i'm learning about that process uh it's all about you know working with different people what people like is different styles whether i'm as an editor and i'm asked to do something for broadcast television i have to conform to those specs and it's about understanding that life cycle and how that works uh or whether i'm asked to just write a short film because the people that are doing that are vfx wizards and in turn they'll help me do effects on my film so there's some of that kind of stuff it's all about it's all about communication every experience i've done really boils down to learning how to communicate what people are looking for and how to achieve success whether it's me or them it's all about communication Uh, and um as as someone who had a lot of communication with jay uh over uh, many days on the road i'm sure uh it has definitely come into play and uh your work in nintendo quest has uh obviously garnered a lot of interest from other aspects now your uh actually if and I allowed you to fall into as far as the the latest project that you're about ready to undertake um, with uh, the heavy metal band or hard rock heavy metal band from London, uh, Ontario area, Kitty. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that, how that came about. I saw the, I, I actually read what, how that came about, but uh, 
let us know, uh, the listeners or viewers out there, how that came about, because it's obviously something that's a big thrill for, for you being that you're from that area. It's, it's a hometown band. It's a hometown band that's done extremely well. Uh, they sold well over a million copies worldwide, and it's just something I'm sure that you're very proud of as far as being a part of, correct? Yeah, it's 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 honestly, you know, it's a phrase that gets thrown a, around a lot when people start new projects, but it is, it feels like it's one of those like dream projects. It's a chance in a lifetime. I'm a huge, huge music fan, and I'm a huge heavy metal hard rock fan. Uh, and Kitty is as a heavy metal band asking me to do their 20 year anniversary documentary. It was just like, wow. Uh, I went to high school with the bass player, Trish Stone, uh, who I reconnected with 10 years later after high school while I was doing my master's degree at Sheridan. And uh, when I was looking for a soundtrack uh, for Nintendo Quest, because it's comprised of both 8-bit original tunes and like rock tracks, I was talking to Trish and I'm like, hey, can I use a track from Kitty? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. All the girls love NES and all that stuff. So it worked out and I picked a track. And at that point, Trish said, you know, we're doing doing a 20 year anniversary documentary i'd love to show you our indiegogo video see what you think and so i looked at him like you know if you don't have a director or anything you know that this would be something i'd love to take on and at the time they had because they had been working with a guy who'd done some music videos and different projects for them and you know it the same it's the tale of the tape work with the people you know because you know what to expect and it's totally cool so they went and did their thing i went on to finish uh, nintendo quest and then you know, circle the calendar back to about three months ago when I, I got a call and a message from Morgan and Mercedes uh, of Kitty. And they're like, hey, you know, things are kind of a little bit up in the air. Would you consider, you know, directing this documentary? Uh, David, who's slated to direct, is just really busy with some other projects. And we get where he's coming from, but we got to get this out. I'm like, yes, I would love to direct. And, you know, we signed all the contracts and all the paperwork. And we were sitting on this big announcement for a while. And finally, uh, other people heard about it through the grapevine, so to speak and we started shooting in March 2015 all, all the interviews and stuff and it's just it's phenomenal to be a part of that and it's it's the hometown uh, roots again it, it's funny because I told my wife who lives with me here in Las Vegas obviously for some reason I can't start a film project that doesn't originate in my hometown 3,000 miles away I did Unearthly which is a sci-fi action adventure in uh, London, Ontario, when I was living in Texas, and then Nintendo Quest, obviously, and then Missing Mom after that originated in Ontario as well, and now Kitty, again, a London, Ontario project. Um, it goes back to that age-old thing, use the resources that you have. I know a lot of people there, and there's a lot of connections and a lot of non-production things there are in my favor as far as resources, like being able to borrow vehicles, crashing at families' houses, getting help with some of the food costs. So all those things really add up in cost. So London is a very attractive place for me to film for all those reasons. But uh, when, when Kitty approached me about doing their documentary, it was, it was just like, wow, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And ever since then, working with the members of that band has, has been an absolute dream. The interviews were amazing. And their fans are so passionate and hardcore that I feel so welcomed by them already. We've already been talking and I'm meeting all these people. It's like Nintendo Quest all over again. I'm getting ushered into this new community of people that are seeing what we're doing and seeing who I am. And they're like, oh, my God, you're the guy behind Nintendo Quest. I've been dying to see that movie. And it's like, well, here we go. You know, it's it's been an absolute dream, man. It, it's I just feel incredibly lucky that I've been allowed to do these things that I love to do. Well, and that's what I want to ask, because um, you're heading into a project and you're uh, for that project. And I want to know your mindset on what you want to get across to the viewer in regards to Kitty. Is there, there a certain vantage point you want them to see? Is there something that they 
that you want to show them that the regular public hasn't seen or just how truly great the band is? Because uh, you've won awards for, for previous documentaries and, and obviously something like this could, could really do, do something as far as being a, a special project indeed. Uh, well, when it comes to the to the Kitty Project, there's there's a lot of morals and themes that we're going to get across, but the the fans and the public have really never heard the story from Kitty themselves. There are interviews that exist out there, but a lot of the questions that they get asked are are the standard fare. Still, first of all, the interview is always titled with some sort of cat pun, like "Uh oh, digging deep in the kitty litter." Or uh, they always get asked the question, what's it like being in an all-girl, you know, heavy metal band? And still, after 20 years, they're getting asked these very surface-based questions that really don't get to the heart very of it. Very narrow, right? Very narrow. Very, very, yeah. very naive, like tunnel vision, myoptic point of view on, on what this heavy metal band that has sold almost 2 million, you know, records has done. They've toured OzFest. They've graced the cover of Metal Edge magazine with Ozzy Osbourne. I mean... This band is awesome, and yet because they're all girls, they're getting somewhat of a, they're not getting taken seriously. And when you listen to the music, you start to take them seriously in, in a heartbeat. So for me, I want them to tell the story from their point of view and let people know exactly what's going on because, you know, they've gone through some legal stuff, some lineup changes, uh, some deaths within the Kitty family, uh, larger than the band. And nobody knows what they've thought about all this and how they've managed to keep it together and go for 20 years. Because as a band, existing for 20 years is quite the accomplishment. So this is, you know, the fans and the public's chance to understand what that's like. How do you make a band go for 20 years in the post-Napster era world of digital downloading music? How do you, you know, succeed as a mid-level to, to big-level band as a headlining tour act? How do you deal with all the, the novelty press questions? Like, they get asked, like, who their celebrity crushes and, and, and questions like that that really aren't relevant. So this is their chance to kind of speak up tell the story from how it began to where it is now and where it's going in the future. And it's going to be riddled, just absolutely riddled with tons and tons of home video footage. I have four terabytes of footage that they've shot themselves wow. in the last 20 years. And that's SD footage. That's not HD footage. So four terabytes for the most part of SD footage, you're going to see what it's like recording in the studio when they were 15 years old doing the EP before their first album spit came out all the way up to recording their last album. I failed you in HD. Uh, and everything on tour, it's it's and everything in between. It's going to be an awesome, uh, you know, heavy metal mayhem trip down, uh, you know, memory lane, so to speak. But a poignant look at what the rock industry has evolved into and what it takes to survive in that uh, climate. And you're you're starting that project in June, from what I read. Is that correct or no? Uh, we started shooting in March. We did a bulk of interviews, a first kind of run of interviews with uh, the band members we had access to in London, Ontario. A lot of them are there. There are some former former band members that are in New York and some that are in LA and others that were tied up when we had slated to do that week before Easter. Uh, they're going on tour in June and I'll be uh, there the first couple dates at least filming that aspect. They haven't played for three years. So the butterflies that are swirling about going onto the stage for the first time, what's the future of Kitty look like given that they haven't played in three years? Is there going to be a future isn't there going to be a future what's that future going to look like so all these questions are starting to you know come to a head at this point in the band and i asked everybody you know so what do you think about the documentary and why is the documentary happening right now because this was their decision to launch a documentary not mine you know i just get to kind of go along for the ride and i get to craft this and they've all come back with different you know interesting answers from you know 20 years is a nice memory or a nice kind of point to kind of do something like this but there's more to it. I think I think this is such a crucial time in, in Kitty's history that it's 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 a necessity that it's getting captured now. 
Oh, that's that's awesome, and and I wish you all the best with that project as well. I I Thanks. can't wait to see how that uh, that comes about, and and uh, you know see because obviously the rock biopics, you know, there there's so many out there that that have been made that are actually truly well done. So obviously this will this will fall right in that in that line of of, of awesome uh, rock biopics indeed. And uh, you know they're from your area but also speaking of where your you know your london ontario base is there's a, another project you know in the many projects in the life of rob mccallum going on right now that that i want to talk about <laughs> sure. and probably the one that uh, i guess maybe you know from a guest would be most personal to you um is something that that you had, had alerted to to your facebook friends um late last year if i'm not mistaken uh that's when i first caught wind to it wind of it mm -hmm. uh, i believe um and that's the project the documentary film missing mom uh, about your search uh for for your mom uh you and your brother your half brother and uh i just uh you know i want to know more about that i think that's of all the projects that that you have underway uh I, even though nintendo quest and the kitty biopic are awesome awesome ideas and awesome projects to go through it's the missing mom uh, aspect that that maybe you don't get to talk about as much um, uh, to the public, and, and something that maybe some, some you know a lot of people need to to understand a little bit better. So if you can tell us about how that came about, and and um, you know what plans do you have for the film itself? Sure, uh, it's it's definitely probably the smallest feeling film that I have in the works and we're in post-production editing on that. So we're, we're finishing Nintendo Quest. It's getting ready to be delivered. We're editing Missing Mom and we're shooting Kitty. So everything is at a different stage. So we're juggling all the balls, right? Um, Missing Mom is probably the smallest film because it's not based on any kind of brand or any kind of uh, formula like you're talking about, like rock by, you know, biography, rock docs, or, you know, a video game movie. This is a personal journey, as you mentioned. But it's all also, even though it feels the smallest, it's also the most universal because we all come from some sort of family. And to be honest, uh, well, for those of you that don't know, like you said, Gerald, I went on search, another road trip movie with my half-brother, Chris, who I consider my full brother, but for sake of understanding what's going on, he's my half-brother. And we go in search of what happened to our mom, who's been missing for almost 25 years, and essentially come face-to-face -face with her. And it's a tale of, you know, following breadcrumbs, delving into family secrets, those taboo subjects that people don't talk about and having the courage to broach those subjects with the people that we respect dearly and, you know, asking them questions that make them feel uncomfortable so we can kind of get the answers that we need to know or some sort of clue or, or a hint of what to do next. It's, uh, it's a film that started with a video game, oddly enough. I was playing Child of Light, uh, which is a Ubisoft game. And I was I was wondering because we I had I had locked Nintendo Quest literally like it was done, which means it was going to audio post. So my part as an editor was hands off. Our uh, sound designer John was going to do all the tweaks, put it in five one, and I was like, you know, Jay was going on this impossible adventure of you know collecting games, something impossible. What could I do? that would be impossible was the question and this it was swirling in my head for a couple of weeks and I was going hiking in, in Summerlin here and I was playing Child of Light I 
game about Aurora who will stop at nothing to find her, you know, get back to her family, her dad who is in this kind of condition, but she doesn't know where he is, but she's willing to kind of do anything, traverse any obstacle, any challenge. And that's all by the way. I love it. It's is by far my favorite game of, of 2014. I really hope they do a physical release. I was excited that they're, you know, announcing spin-off stories in that universe. Yes. Um so here's the story of this girl who'll stop at nothing to get to her dad. It's, you know, considered impossible. Nobody believes her. And all of a sudden I said to myself, what if I look for my mom? And it was that it was that it was a scary moment for me because I actually said it out loud. Nobody was around. I just kind of said it out loud. I was just playing. I had to pause the game and think about it. And then I started toiling with that idea, like, okay, what is this? You know, what would that be? Do I care? Because I kind of resolved myself after, you know, almost 25 years. It is what it is. You know, people just yeah. learn to live with things and go on. Uh, and so this was, you know, uncorking that bottle that was inside that I'd kind of put away nicely on a shelf. And then I started talking to people about it. I talked to my wife. I said, what do you think if I did a movie? where I go on a road trip in, in search of the ultimate holy grail. That's how I pitched it to her. Um, but instead of an object like stadium events or Nintendo World Championships or, you know, Wonder Bread He-Man, what if it was I was looking for my mom? Because this personal stakes can get higher. And my wife kind of just took a pause and go, yeah, that, that would be neat. So I was like, okay. I got somebody who's on my side. And then I called my producer, Jordan Morris, and I uh, pitched him the idea. He goes, well, how do we, where do we start? How do we do this? I mean, we're not detectives. We don't know what we're doing. I'm like, no, we don't. But that, that's the thing that we're the everyman doing something that so many other people have the questions and to get that process on film is great. And of course the big question was, well, what if you don't find her? And if I don't find her, then I don't find her, but at least I tried. And it's that struggle to understand as the filmmaker, I had to step back saying, well, if I don't find her, then I'll structure the film differently so that we look at a few different case studies or the phenomenon of missing people or people looking for their adoptive parents that uh, had re- relinquished them and put them up for adoption. Um, so there was a bunch of different ways as a filmmaker where I could separate myself and try to piece it together. But the main crux of that narrative was always going to be going on the search. And I knew I had to, I couldn't do this on my own because I'm not the only one that's involved in this. It's not just a one-man show. I had to call my brother, and I kind of threw the idea past him. And uh, I basically pitched it to him. I said, so what do you think about trying to look for mom? He goes, well, why do you want to do that? Which is kind of a harsh kind of feeling for those that aren't in the situation. Why would you want to look for what's your mom? You obviously want to look for him, but it's, it's not like that. And it never was like that with us. He was raised by his paternal grandparents, and I was raised by my maternal grandparents, so my mom's parents. And uh, basically, I said, well, you know, with my dad passing away four years ago, uh, under very tragic conditions, under very sudden terms, and my grandparents who had raised me being both diagnosed with cancer, I really didn't have any kind of close biological connection left. And I wanted to know a little bit about more who I was. I didn't meet my biological dad till I was 10. And that was a rocky relationship. And like I said, it was cut short due to tragic circumstances. Um, So I felt like there's this missing part of me out there or this perspective of me that could inform a little bit who I am. And if I don't go to look, then nobody ever will, because it had been almost 25 years. So when I pitched it to my brother, he's like, well, sure, I'm curious. He's a Mountie in Canada. He's always kind of curious. He likes to put the bad guys down, and he likes to kind of have a completion kind of thing. Let's tidy everything up. And he was up for finding out the truth, because we had been told, I don't want to say half-truths, but we've been told different things, little bits and fragments here and there, uh, growing up, and again, it became a taboo subject that we just never talked about our mom, family events, and stuff like that. And 
So that was that. And that's kind of how it came to be. I threw it past him. Then I threw it past my grandparents. And then in the trailer, uh, you hear me throw it past my uncle. And you can hear in his voice, he's like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> Which is kind of the attitude of the family. Nobody believed uh, in us and what we were doing. They understood why we wanted to do it. They supported our need to try to find answers. But uh, nobody believed in our ability to to do something and to have any kind of results. And that was really hard for us to swallow too, that our family didn't believe that it would be possible. Knowing that now, it's not really a reflection on us. It's more a reflection, I think, on their mindset. And again, a lot of this comes out in the film. And I don't mind talking about this film as open as I am versus something like Nintendo Quest, where we're keeping some of the main questions a little bit in the shadows. Because I think, I think Missing Mom is a very important film because I really think that it can change a lot of people's lives if they have the courage to start asking questions and doing a little bit of work. Uh, I, and and on that, you know, obviously the elation of finding your mom is there. The emotion and and I, you know, I'm not even seeing the film yet. I could understand as far as the ending is, since you did, you know, ultimately achieve that goal. But I asked this of your brother, and I'm going to ask this of you. How has your relationship with your brother evolved when, in the process of you know making the documentary? Sure. And I should say, I apologize. I wasn't able to get a response from him. I know you kind of forwarded me a question to give to him. He's been working cases like, you know, 24 hours in a row. Cause like I said, he's a Mountie. Um, it's, it, there were some very trying times for my brother and I, we weren't raised together, but we, we always remained close. We spent summers and uh, some vacations and stuff together. And for him being a cop, understanding the legal situation behind privacy acts. And for me being a guy who, I don't stop at anything and I don't take no for an answer very well. I'm very determined to kind of do things. I don't want to say the end will always justify the means as a mentality, but I do pretty well when I just keep pushing and going and going and going. And some of the attitudes and thoughts I had were a little bit in conflict with how he would do things, but that's just because we're different people. And he wasn't the only one that was uncomfortable by stuff. And I was uncomfortable by some of the stuff that he was saying. Um, we wanted to make it very clear that he was not going to use his position as an officer of the law to, you know, influence anybody that we were talked to. In fact, we kept it hidden from almost everybody that we talked to um, because we didn't want that to be a thing. If we were going to help other people out there, they wouldn't necessarily have that card up their sleeves. So we wanted to make sure that was the same situation. Um, it, I, I think it's good. There, there are some trying times and, and, I think we're we're better off. I think we're a little bit closer for having undergone this together, of course. I mean, why wouldn't we? We've got some answers uh, to everything, but I don't think any answer really ever does it justice what, you know, the big questions to the big answers. There are no definitive answers, and the answers that we get will always change in flux over time depending on who we're asking, when we're asking, how we're asking, and what's going on. Um, but But things are good with my brother and I. It was it was different, but the same thing for Jay and I, for Nintendo Quest. As my best friend, he had never worked with me. We had hung out as friends for more than 30 years, but he had never worked with me in my way. And I have pretty high expectations of the people I work with because, like I said, I'm go, 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 go. And again, it's about understanding that communication, be able to talk to people and where they're coming from so that they understand with how things are going. Um, and that goes even to the to the Kitty documentary. Here's a rock band that, you know, is a little worried about how things could come across because they've had some really uh, questionable things come out and they've been spun different ways in the public and just kind of reassuring them and communicating that that's not what I want to do. I don't want to make a TMZ piece out of it. So it's, uh, it's an ongoing relationship in all three of those projects all, all the time. But it's about communication, understanding what 
how each other is thinking and where they're coming from. It's not me versus anybody. It's trying to get everybody on the same side of the table and look at the situation at hand. Well, no, that's, that's great. And, and with all those projects coming about, it's, it's uh, certainly going to be another busy year for you indeed. Um, but first and foremost is Nintendo quest. And, uh, if anyone wants to find out more about Nintendo Quest, like I said, there's, I'm sure you've got more screenings. I know you have one planned here in Vegas, but I know you have more screenings uh, for the actual film itself, plus home video. If somebody wants to find out more about either Missing Mom or, or you know, the upcoming Kitty documentary or Nintendo Quest, how is the best way to find out or how is the best way to help support you in your cause? Uh, well, the easiest thing to do is go to pyreproductions.net. Our website will be going over a bit of a rehaul in the coming weeks. Um, that's P-Y-R-E productions.net. That's my personal website where we're going to have information on all three projects. Uh, for information on Nintendo Quest, go to facebook.com slash the NES Club. We always post tons of information there. Reach out and message us. We're pretty good about getting back with usually in the hour. You can also email us at nesclubmovie at gmail.com. Um, and if you want more information on Missing Mom, email us at missingmomdoc at gmail.com. As far as the Kitty Project goes, post something on one of their forums and, and Facebook. Chances are I'll see it or try to tag me. Um, I'm not really, like I said, because I'm a hired gun on that one. I really don't want to speak on behalf of the band, but I'm there to kind of inform fans that have any questions. I'll try to be as transparent as possible with, you know, working with the band to kind of cater what gets out there and what doesn't. Um, but yeah, usually Facebook is the easiest way to kind of contact me through all the different projects. It's a good social hub and pyreproductions.net will be revamped soon. Nintendo quest screenings do start this June. Like you said, screening in Beverly Hills, June 26th and June 28th in Vegas. And then at the classic game fest in Austin, uh, July 25th, 26th in Houston on the 27th, we have a screening in Columbus in August at some point in Dubois at VGX, uh, August 22nd. London, Ontario, our hometown, is probably going to be a massive screening September 25th. And then at the Comic-Con in London, Ontario, that weekend, the 26th and 27th of September. Edmonton, October 7th. Cleveland, October 11th. Portland Retro Gaming Expo, October 16th. And probably many, many more. But that's what we got on Slate so far for Nintendo Quest. It's an exciting time for us. I can imagine, indeed. Just a couple days, a couple screenings out there for yeah, you. Yeah, we got, we got a few things going on. Not, and you know, I should, I should I should say, too, for those that do would like to have it on a home video, uh, we do not have a, a DVD disc deal with the distributor yet. There's a good chance that most of the screenings will have some extra discs available if you do want to purchase them. But the film should go live to buy on iTunes and similar video-on-demand platforms October 2015 to coincide with the 30th anniversary of NES. So look for it on iTunes probably October this year. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Um, Rob, it's, it's been a pleasure um just talking to you getting to know more about you and all the great projects that you're working on uh like i said before uh level up expo we met and and just you know i was so intrigued at that time as far as what you had on the plate and it's even gotten more so uh since we've talked and and uh just you know just for a guy who who just likes to go to a gaming store every now and then and just hang out i've uh, uh, you know pinball hall of fame and whatnot here in vegas i saw the other day that was over there um just just you know, it's great to see all the projects that, that you're doing, but you still try to keep it uh, on the lowdown as far as uh, being humble and, uh, you know, just being just an, an avid fan and a cool guy as far as this. Oh, 
Star Wars. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the the 88 million or actually probably now over 100 million viewed uh, latest Star Wars teaser trailer, uh, especially from a filmmaker standpoint. A uh, huge fan of it. I mean, everybody, of course, is going nuts for that. The last line when we see Han Solo and Chewie there, this is Chewie, we're home. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. But for me, what did it was that opening shot where we see the land speeder, the speeder bike going across the desert horizon. And slowly, slowly, this Im- this this thing that's in the desert that's been crashed is revealed to be a Star Destroyer. That's when I felt like I was welcomed back to the Star Wars universe. That's that's cinematic. It's like this massive thing in a context we've never seen before. You can tell we're in the Star Wars universe, but things are so much more different than we saw last time. And and it's on, man. It, it's game on from that point of view. Like it's, it, it. I'm very. When I saw the first teaser trailer for Force Awakens, I was cautiously optimistic. Now I'm on board and, and I'm ready to uh, enjoy the ride. And it's hard for a lot of uh, uh, real good Star Star Wars fans to get get so they were a little apprehensive, like you said, like yourself after the first one, because it is J.J. Abrams who is so familiar, um, you know, become so familiar and so so synonymous with the Star Trek franchise as far as rebooting that. And there were a lot of concerns, you know, uh, even comments this week by Mark Hamill himself about about how it was going to look, you know, come about and how it was going to look once it, once uh, the movie came on screen. But it looks from all appearances at this point that it looks very promising indeed. Correct. Well, I, th- I think it's just the fear of, okay, the, the first trilogy, the old Testament, if you will, was so perfect. Quit tinkering with that. You know, there are flaws of course, but it, as a whole, that canon worked. Then Lucas did the prequels, and that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So the idea that somebody else is going to go back and tinker around not only with the Star Wars universe, but our old friends, our family members, the Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, they're all going to get kind of, you know, reworked. That, you know, scared a lot of people that their, you know, opinion, their childhood, those memories were going to get tainted and, and torn. And I think because what Disney has, you know, involved in it and what they plan for, you just got to let it go. It's got you got to think of it as almost like a comic book with so many of these Star Wars films coming out. Rogue One teaser was leaked as well, which really really cool to see about the you know the the hunt for the Death Star battle plans and how those get stolen. It's a heist movie, which is awesome. You've just got to let it go, and it's like okay, here's another chapter, here's another comic book that's coming out. Some are going to be good, some are going to be bad, but there's going to be so much that you can't get so attached, you can't strangle it to death with love. You know, otherwise you're just going to kill that the fact that you love it to begin with. You know, you got to let it go a little bit. It's just a movie. Enjoy the ride. Get the popcorn ready. That's what matters. Do you feel this is the most important Star Wars movie? Because obviously, like like you discussed, Disney has so many plans for so many movies beyond it. And and the importance of how well it will do, this one will do, uh, is probably the, you know, obviously has to be the foundation for that. You see, because it's Disney, I really don't feel that way. And if you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know they don't hinge on any one film. I think it's important that Episode Seven is a success. I can't see how it won't be a success. But if something like Man of Steel, which is a film that I'm really on the fence about, can spawn a DC universe, then I think we know that Disney is going to be fine with however Episode Seven turns out, especially with what they're already showcasing. I think as far as in terms of importance in the Star Wars films, I think Episode Nine is going to be the most important and the most critical because it really has to stick that landing. It has to stick that ending. Revenge of the Sith, all they had to do was connect the dots. And they did so in like five minutes and so many things. And you felt nauseous after all these threads get tied up to lead you into A New Hope. Uh, Episode Nine, if they're not going to do 10, 11, and 12, really has to stick a landing that makes it feel complete 
And can Disney actually turn that tap off and not go beyond episode nine and just be, you know, happy with the anthology series, which of course is all these spinoffs. I don't yeah. know. It's hard to say. Uh, we'll have to see indeed. Uh, I'm excited as a Star Wars fan myself, and uh, yeah. I definitely look forward to it as well. Um, obviously, as well, we talked about Battlefront, you and I did, as far as uh, uh, the hopes for that. Uh, so as well, as from a gaming standpoint, so my hopes for EA to provide a quality product on that at that end as well. Sure, um, yeah. Uh, although I wish there was, you, you and I went back and forth a little bit on space battles. There, according to several outlets, they're saying on the surface that there's no space battles. But then again, Destiny, you know, they didn't put space battles initially in two, and there's there's always been talk that they might add that on at a, at a future date and time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I haven't looked into Battlefront a whole lot. I, I saw the teaser trailer. Like I'm, I'm sure so many of the listeners and watchers have seen it too. Um, there's a lot of piloted stuff. Um, I don't think it would be hard for them to expand into that. They've already talked about how it's going to ship with two missions per planet at launch. And a game like that in the era that we are in now, you know there's going to be an expansion pack. You know there's going to be DLC. So I think that's you know the logical kind of big first expansion drop maybe uh, to come sure. out there, which would be space missions. So uh, it'll then, come whether it's at launch or not. I think it'll come, and uh, I'm just happy with what I've seen. It looks you know incredible. Oh, it does, and then obviously the the in-game effects. It, it you know, I think it was shown on a, off a of PS4, and it was just really starting to really come together. And I'm really happy that. Uh, that as it's again a Star Wars fan that I'm excited for it as well. I do appreciate again your time. We look forward to to seeing how your projects progress. Uh, look forward to to obviously the showing here in Vegas, but all over the world and seeing how how you trick the globe in, in support of all three of your new projects and also future uh, success to you as well, Rob. Thanks so much, man. It's uh, always a pleasure chatting, and I appreciate you digging into the past and looking at some of the other things I've done and wanting to talk about some of the other things I got going on. It's it's awesome. Thanks. Well, absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's just great when you see, you know, that, that you're going to be talking to an award-winning filmmaker. You know, it's, it's like, you know, that's... It's, you could always say award-winning filmmaker on there, but you're so humble, you're so down to earth that, that that you don't need to to have that, and in order to to sell the great projects uh, to the public out there as a whole. So I just I'm just a lucky guy, man, who believes in what he's doing is the right thing to do, even though there's financial burdens with a hobby such as filmmaking and in a profession like that, especially the way I'm doing it, uh, and everybody just seems to want to be a part of things that i want to do and it's just really awesome and again it's fortunate lucky grateful uh awards are nice uh you know i believe in my films regardless of what the reception is for something like nintendo quest i think it's an important film i think it'll resonate because of the kind of film we chose to tell and that's kind of my game plan for all my films you know deliver an important message that can resonate on a universal uh you know audience level absolutely Oh, no, absolutely. I, no, thank you. And, and I appreciate it. Any last thoughts or questions that you might have? No, I just, uh, I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to breathe next because of all the awesome Nintendo Quest stuff we got going on. Our soundtrack uh, dropped, as you probably know, our 8-bit soundtrack. Go to johnmccarthy.bandcamp.com if you want to hear some great uh, 8-bit chiptunes that will appear in the Nintendo Quest soundtrack. Um, we for all our Kickstarter backers out there that are keeping track of us, most of those rewards should ship in July, 
and uh, hope to see everybody at a screening because Jay is coming to all of them so far, from what I understand. So he'll be in Vegas, he'll be in LA, Austin, and so on. And we're going to be filming everywhere. And the stuff that we film as we roll out this film on a tour like a rock band see how everything kind of parallels and goes together we'll be releasing that 90 minute documentary for free online probably next june which will be a nice drop and get us to the the game release which will be six months after that so the nintendo quest brand is the nintendo quest cinematic universe continues to expand if you will that's awesome and it's great to hear and uh we definitely look forward to to all the projects that you have nintendo quest everybody out there missing mom and also as well, the Kitty documentary. You need to look out for it. You need to be and make sure that every you know that everything's going on on all those great projects. Much success to you on all these projects and everything going forward for you, Rob. Uh, hope to see you again in in a couple months. You know when you have uh, your showing here in Vegas. Thanks, Gerald. Thank you so much for your time. And once again, this is Gerald, better known as Yes Elvis Lives from YourGameSource.com. Thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and being a part of this interview. Do you love games, breed games, and bleed games? Then this is the crew for you. If you are interested in editorial, podcasting, live events, and exclusive content, make sure to hit us up at info at yourgamesource.com and become part of a team that is dedicated to delivering all the greatest delays in gaming news and content, all here at yourgamesource.com.